The U.S. government issues cybersecurity standards for automobiles. And IBM apologizes for not taking steps to mitigate a DDoS attack. These stories and a preview of ISMG's Healthcare Security Summit coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report with the U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration proposing voluntary cybersecurity guidelines for car makers and their suppliers to secure computers and electronics on automobiles. The guidelines focus on hardening a vehicle's electronic architecture against potential cyber attacks and ensuring vehicle systems take appropriate actions even if an attack succeeds. The guidelines offer a layered approach to automotive cybersecurity aimed to protect the vehicle's control systems and safeguards personally identifiable information and geolocation contained in the vehicle's system. But two Democratic senators, Edward Markey of Massachusetts and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, say they want the government to require carmakers to adopt the security standards. The senators say mandatory standards would ensure the vehicles cannot be hacked and lives and information put in danger. But most lawmakers and the Obama administration have been resistant to issuing cybersecurity requirements. Sam Abul-Samid is a senior research analyst at the market research consultancy Navigant Research, and he says mandatory requirements now would be premature considering automotive computerized technology is still evolving. If we were to try and put a more solid regulation in place right now, it could stymie the development of some ideas. Basically, anything that you put in place that at this point, that would not be too much of a hindrance in terms of some innovation, would probably not be strong enough to be of any value. And if you put anything that that was a a really strong regulation in place, it could limit the ways that the the kinds of solutions that manufacturers come up with. The threat of cyber attacks on automobiles is real. In separate controlled settings, researchers in the U.S. and China remotely applied brakes to two cars. And the U.S. government last year recalled 1.4 million Chrysler automobiles equipped with radios that have software vulnerabilities that could allow third parties access to network vehicle control systems. So far, there's no known hackers who have maliciously tried to breach automobiles. But saying it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the not-too-distant future. When it does, Abul Samid says he suspects the hackers would likely seek profit over creating havoc on the highways. There's probably going to be more attackers that are interested in trying to make money off of it. Probably the ransomware and just the data theft, probably the two most likely scenarios. For the most part, most hackers are interested in making some money off of whatever they're doing. Sending vehicles crashing into each other, that's more likely some sort of terrorist or state-sponsored attack that would be involved there. And I think that's probably less likely, but I wouldn't rule it out. Not necessarily less likely from a technical standpoint, but just from a motivational standpoint. IBM and I personally unreservedly apologize to the Australian public and the Australian Commonwealth for the inconvenience caused on the evening of Census Night. That's IBM Managing Director Curry Purcell. He apologized to an Australian Senate committee earlier this week for a snafu that caused a key public-facing government system to go down for nearly two days this summer. Taking responsibility for an IT failure is not always the norm. Joining me from Sydney to discuss the IT security fiasco is ISMG's security and technology editor, Jeremy Kirk. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Eric. What led to IBM's Purcell to apologize? 
IBM was the lead contractor on a about a $10 million project to run Australia's census online. Australia in the past had done online censuses. They kind of experimented. It's a once in every five year project. But this year they wanted millions of people to do it online because it would save them a lot of money over tabulating paper forms. They anticipated that the online form that people filled out might come under cyber attack, but they underestimated the effect that would have on census. David Kalish, who's the head of the Australian Bureau of Statistics, explains. We were certainly surprised that the system was vulnerable. We were assured that the system was robust and was ready to go to a range of different attacks and mechanisms, not just, not just DDoS. On Census Day, which was August 9th, when people could fill out the online form, the census form came under four distributed denial-of-service attacks. Three of those were relatively minor attacks, but a fourth one was severe enough that it disabled a router. They ended up having to take the census form offline for two days in order to figure out the depths of the attacks. So this is what IBM took responsibility for? Yes, IBM has taken responsibility, but it used a network of other contractors to fulfill certain components of the contract. The connectivity to the census form was actually provided by two different ISPs. One was Telstra, and another one was called NextGen Communications. In the way that the internet works, there's often lots of suppliers, and NextGen Communications also had a relationship with a company called Bogus to provide connectivity to the census form. Purcell said the problems revolved around Bocus's failure to implement a plan that they had to stop distributed denial of service attacks. This plan was known as Island Australia, basically geo-blocking, and involved blocking any traffic to the census forum that came from outside Australia. Purcell explains how that became a problem. The geo-blocking protocol was not properly applied by one of the ISPs, and this error occurred in circumstances where we had received repeated assurances from the ISP that the protocol was properly in place. That resulted in attack traffic getting through to the eCensus site, which in turn caused a number of effects that led to IBM's decision to suspend public access to the site. Bocus acknowledges that it failed to implement geoblocking in a proper way, but it says the DDoS attack wasn't large by DDoS standards. It maintains that such an attack wouldn't have brought down the census website if other protections had been properly in place. Did any heads roll? Purcell told the Senate committee that no one was fired over this, and that's particularly interesting because in the days following the census disaster, there were a lot of calls that people should be held accountable, even so much that Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull came out a day later and said that heads will roll. Despite Turnbull's call for people to be fired, the opposition was critical of it. Andrew Lee is the shadow assistant treasurer in the opposition Labour Party, and he says that a strong government would have stepped up and taken responsibility. What we've seen from the Turnbull government has been less personal responsibility than Donald Trump. So at this point, IBM is in confidential discussions with the government to compensate the $30 million cost around the failures of the census. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. ISMG's two-day healthcare summit kicks off on Tuesday, November 1st in New York City. To discuss the summit, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Marianne is coordinating the content as well as the sessions at the summit. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Eric. 
Taking a look at the summit's agenda, a recurring theme emerges that healthcare organizations must adopt a wartime mindset to battle sophisticated and persistent attacks they face. Why a wartime mindset? Last year was the year of the mega hacker attack on the healthcare sector, with more than 100 million individuals being affected by these attacks. This year, we've been seeing a rash of hacker attacks. Some of them are smaller, but there's also been a string of ransomware attacks that have, in some cases, disrupted healthcare organizations from delivering services to patients. And I'm sure we'll hear about a lot of that, even perhaps from uh, the opening keynote, which will be delivered by Devin McGraw. Now, she's the Deputy Director for Health Information Privacy at the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights. What do you expect McGraw to say? Devin is likely to shed some light on the types of cyber attacks and other breaches that HHS is hearing about from the healthcare sector, and perhaps some details that the healthcare sector at large isn't even aware of, as well as lessons that can be learned from these incidents. Another keynoter is Jay Kramer. He's Supervisory Special Agent in the FBI's Cyber Division. What will Kramer discuss? Agent Kramer will shed some light into the types of cyber attacks and other breaches, including ransomware attacks that law enforcement has been called into to investigate. And I also expect that he'll share with the sector some resources and best practices that could help the healthcare sector defend against and respond to these attacks. The summit concludes Wednesday with a presentation on the insider threat by Michael Tice. He's chief counterintelligence expert at Carnegie Mellon CERT Inside Threat Center. What do you expect him to say? I believe that Michael will remind us that it's not just the external players like hackers who are the bad guys that healthcare organizations need to worry about. Despite the surge in cyber attacks, insiders present a persistent danger for all kinds of healthcare breaches, including theft of intellectual property, theft of patient IDs, fraud, and other sorts of crimes and mischief. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.